everyone, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for faith and life. I'm Tony, and today is episode 145 of the podcast, where I sit down with one of my dear friends, Jason Moore. Jason and I have known each other for over a decade, and he shares with us today his insight into both and worship. What does it mean to reconvene the church and our hearts as we turn towards Jesus in this unprecedented time of the church? I think you're going to love this conversation. And remember, our goal is that through intentional conversation, we can help you unpack a deeper relationship with God. So, hey, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify, and maybe even share this episode with a friend. If you want to check out the show notes or the full transcripts, go to reclamationpodcast.com. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Jason Moore. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have... uh, one of my friends for the last 10 years, we've been friends a decade, man. That's hard to believe. Jason Crazy. Moore, founder, president, CEO, visionary for Midnight Oil Productions. Jason, thank you so much for being, well, first of all, a repeat offender here on the podcast. Hey, it is my pleasure to be back. Now, uh, Jason, your um, calling as you think about it with the larger church, I, w- I was trying to write out all the things that you do. And I'm like, well, he's on the district staff and he speaks at churches and he coaches and he does hidden worship and he does the hybrid worship stuff, which we're going to get into today. H- how do you describe your calling when somebody says, what is it that you do? You know, that is a really complex question. And my business card is an 11 by 17 sheet of paper uh, so that I can list all of the various things that I do. Uh, I often call myself author, speaker, uh, worship coach, and consultant. Uh, mm. So uh, that's probably the short of it. But I, I do a little bit of everything. And, and in addition to all of that, really where I got my start was in doing media production. I'm a graphic artist, motion graphics guy, you know, that kind of thing. So I do a little bit of everything. What do you, um, when you think about what, what God has placed on your heart, like the burden that you carry for the local church, um, how do you often describe that to pastors or to, to neighbors who may not understand the full church dynamic? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, for me, I really believe that, uh, Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and the answer. Uh, and I think that, uh, my experience has been that in the church, we don't always communicate the gospel in a way that makes that message attractive to people uh, who um, in, encounter it, you know, so people who didn't grow up in the church or have no church history. So my passion is helping churches communicate the gospel in deep and meaningful ways that drives people deeper in their personal faith development and toward uh, mission in the world. And so I don't think of worship as the uh, only door. I just think of it as the front door to deeper uh, discipleship and uh, missional participation. Uh, so my neighbors probably wouldn't understand that. But, um, you know, uh, um, my, my dream as a kid was to go to Hollywood and make movies. And then Jesus got a hold of me and I uh, shifted my gifts toward helping the church learn how to communicate uh, more effectively. Yeah, we had uh, Stephen Kendrick on the podcast, and he said a similar thing, that it, it started out of this kind of internal passion to tell stories, and then um, and then it kind of grew into this ministry. And I, I feel like you're kind of in a, in a similar boat. It, it, now, it's interesting, right? Like, uh, worship has kind of always been one of your bread and butter spots um, following your career like I have. Um, but when, when COVID hit, your world change because so much of who you were was about going to churches. You were, I mean, how many times do you think you traveled in 2019? Uh, probably about 40, 45 trips, uh, to do, um, either consultations or a lot of it was doing my creative worship seminar, which was all about how to, you know, it was all about in person. I didn't really talk much at all about online, uh, back in those days, or I do a lot around hospitality. So I have a training called five things your visitors are thinking, but won't ask. And, um, yeah, I mean, lots of frequent flyer miles in, in 2019. And then 2020 comes along and, um, 
and and what hap- what happens to you, right? Like what what oh. do you do with a consultant who is like you're just like, well, that's one less bill I'm gonna have to pay, or what do you? I mean, do, yeah, what was that experience yeah. like for you? Oh man, it was terrifying. Uh, you know, I I had uh, two thoughts. Uh, the first thought was completely wrong. I remember saying to my kids, "You're gonna remember this two weeks for the rest of your life." <laughs> because they were closing school down, right? And uh, because of people being sick and all that. So uh, my first thought was, oh, this is just going to be a no big deal thing. And then maybe three weeks into the pandemic, six different events that I was supposed to go do canceled. I got calls, hey, we can't bring you out. Um, the wonderful thing about the relationships I developed over the years uh, is, and the fact that I'm in ministry is that almost all six of those said, we're going to go ahead and pay you anyway, mm-hmm. and you can make it up when this thing is over. <laughs> it's not over. But uh, I ended up shifting some things online. So I had this terrifying conversation with my wife. I said, I don't know what we're going to do. I have no clue what we're going to do to make income because so much of what I do is I go in person and I do trainings and consultant uh, stuff and all of that. And um, one of my friends who is a pastor in Denver uh, had brought me out and actually, I think, I think in August of 2019 um, to do a secret worshiper consultation. And then I did a training for his conference and he called me the day that the church shut down the, the day, the day the world shut down, they said, you can't be in your buildings anymore. And he's like, Jason, um, we implemented all the stuff you told us to do when uh, you came to be with us, but now we're online. What uh, Can you watch our online service? Because that's the only pe- way people can experience what we do and secret worship it for us. And I was like, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. I honestly didn't have anything else going on. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> And so I, uh, I watched that worship and I took two full pages, eight and a half by 11 uh, of notes about things I thought, um, both things that were good, but things that really needed to be done differently if we're only online. And so I shared that feedback with that pastor. And uh, in reading the notes, I said, you know, uh, his name is Jeremy. I said, Jeremy, um, and so much of what I'm sharing with you here, I'm seeing in all these churches that just jumped online. Would you care if I put together just a little article about this and I'll make you anonymous? And he's like, oh yeah, sure, go ahead. And so I posted that article on Facebook. And within one day, I had one of the United Methodist annual conferences, uh, the Susquehanna Conference in Pennsylvania, Harrisburg area, reach out to me and say, hey, could you turn that into a webinar? Hmm. And I'm like, "Uh, I've never done a webinar. I mean, I've I participated in a webinar, but I've never led one. And so um, I said, well, let me let me play around and see what I can learn. And maybe, yes, I don't know, probably. And the very next day, West Virginia called and said, hey, we saw that article you did. Could could you do a training for us on that? And I was like, uh, well, I'm working on it. And, uh, you know, over the course of the next several days, um, I started working on this. In fact, I, you, you were a part of it, you know, yep. uh, you, you helped me do a little bit of work on the handbook and, um, within five days, 14 annual conferences all over the country, uh, hired me to do this training. That training, uh, was called, uh, telling the old story in a new time. And it was all about how to do just online worship. But, um, at, at the root of, of kind of your bigger question, uh, I felt like God was providing manna, uh, for me in this season. Um, and, and it wasn't me, it was a totally a Holy, Holy Spirit thing. Uh, I didn't have this idea. I just showed up and it was on the beach one day and I started collecting it. <laughs> and, uh, and what's happened as a result of those things has just been an incredible God journey for, for the last couple of years, as that training has morphed into other, other trainings, other opportunities, um, a lot of coaching and consulting and, and so on. Um, but yeah, it was, it went from terrifying to feeling God's presence in maybe the deepest way I've ever felt, uh, in, in my career, uh, because I've been completely dependent on God, uh, should always be there. But in the last two years, (laughs) um, you know, I didn't have a a plan for what to do and, and God showed up, you know, so that's kind of my story. Well, you know, one of the things I'm curious about it is you talked about relationships and, uh, and I know that you're a big relational guy. I- I'm curious, um, 
how much do you think the relationships that you've had for the last, you know, decade or so um, have prepared you for this moment? Because it wasn't like, it, I mean, you weren't a stranger to those places, yeah. right? You've been obedient to what God's called you to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, what What does it look like for you to intentionally develop community? Because I, I think that's something you're pretty good at. That is one of the most important things I think uh, for any entrepreneur to think about is um, the relationships, the people you invest in. Um, I mean, those first two calls were conferences that I've done a ton of work for. In fact, I was on retainer with the Susquehanna conference for multiple years. And when they, I mean, that's why they were aware of what I was doing. So one of my friends that uh, was on the conference staff there saw on my Facebook page, this article I posted and uh, th- then he reached out to me. Um, what happened, what, what's been incredible is uh, this is like that old cheesy, uh, you know, camp song, pass it on, only takes a spark to get a fire going, you know? Yeah. Um, those I relationships. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but those relationships, what happened is once I did, you know, a handful of these trainings, people started talking to other people and vouching for me and their relationships played in to what was happening uh, for me. And, and in fact, one of the things that I really believe about uh, the ministry that we're doing today, and in fact, what I talk about in this new book is that at the heart of everything we do, it's not about technology. It really is about relationships and building meaningful relationships. And I feel like uh, one of the dangers of this world we find ourselves in and in hybrid worship and in online worship is that we are not intentional enough about building relationships. Our online worship can be a revolving door where people come in and leave and we don't ever even know who entered or who left. And so I'm a big proponent. One of the things I've been harping on a lot in my consulting work is encouraging churches to build a discipleship pathway, or I might call it a relational pathway. Uh, those relationships are both with our community, but also with God. Um, and if we don't do that, I feel like uh, people will will tune in, watch, and leave, and uh, and all of that. So uh, relationships are really kind of at the heart of, I think, all that we do in, in ministry and certainly have been uh, one of the keys to uh, this, any kind of success I've had over the last couple of years are, are in those relationships. So I, I know you to be a, a fairly innovative guy, um, and and you've done a lot of things. You pivoted multiple times in your career, and just in just the time that I've known you, you've pivoted. H- how do you know when God is pushing you to your next yes? Right? When's the when's the? I mean, like for a while, you know, you were doing incredible trailers and books, and you know, book trailers and all this different kind of work, and like those kind of things, and you pivoted and then pivoted, and this latest expression of your ministry is another pivot. What's your relationship with God like and and how you acknowledge that, yes, this pivot is from God or versus no, this is just me trying to be, uh, I don't know, you know, greedy or gassy or whatever, right? Like, sure. (laughs) Well, um, you know, uh, to go back to uh, what we talked about, uh, even in the last question, I think uh, for me, part of it is relationships and what other people are hearing and seeing and, and in conversation, um, you know, you and I know each other well enough, uh, that, uh, we, we both are talkers, uh, and and we both, um, I, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I will be talking to someone and my innermost feelings are revealed even to me in that moment. And sometimes when uh, when I've been going through some of these pivots, I will be talking about how I'm feeling about something or I'll be listening to a close friend uh, or a mentor. And um, God is revealed in the conversation. Uh, God's plan is revealed in that conversation and uh, all of that. You know, of course, I mean, there's a lot of prayer. Uh, when you're self-employed, there's a lot of prayer in your life. Uh, <laughs> probably not enough uh, at times, but... Um, you know, when in each pivot for me, uh, you know, you, you step in, uh, you give something a shot, you fake it till you make it. And sometimes you don't make it, but God sends these little confirmations all along uh, the way. I'll tell you that last year or not last year, 2020, um, I, I did that first training and, uh, by the end of the year I had done, I don't know, 28 of them or something. 
And I thought, wow, that was an incredible ride. Uh, it's over now. Uh, and, uh, boy, I'll just, uh, I'll remember this forever. And I was in conversation with a ecumenical leader. Uh, and so this ecumenical leader, uh, wanted to book a training based on another book I wrote, uh, right as the pandemic began. And, in our conversation, he said, uh, hey, how is your telling the old story in a new time thing going? And I said, oh, it's, you know, it's going well. I said, but the problem is I keep coming up with new stuff and I can't, I can't fit it all into what I had. And I said, my big concern is what's going to happen when we start to go back to the room? You know, because that whole training was about online or socially distanced worship. How do you do that? Sure. And so I shared about three things with him that I had been thinking about. And he's like, I want a training on that. And I had just offhandedly said, what are we, we've got to figure out how to do worship in a both and sort of way. And he was like, I'll book two of them right now. Can you do it in November? And I didn't have any clue that that was coming, but it's a relationship thing. I, I have done multiple trainings for these folks. They, I think, feel pretty confident about my abilities to, to communicate. And uh, I, I, I think my material is, is helpful for people. Um, but it was in that conversation that God revealed something to me that I didn't even know was there and saying, here's just some thoughts I have. And he said, he recognized it. That's a training and I want it and, and I need it. And so I feel like when you surround yourself uh, with incredible people and you invest in relationships, at least for me, you know, uh, I don't as often hear that small, still voice, uh, you know, when I'm out in nature or, uh, yeah, you know, praying in the morning that God says, Hey, go develop a seminar. Uh, instead right. <laughs> for me, it's, it's sometimes just in those relationships and, and trusted voices in my life. No, I think that's really good. I, I think there's probably a lot of people who relate to that and can, can think about their community. And one of the things that I know is that you've intentionally developed this community. It's not that you, um, when you're, I mean, you love to meet new people. And so you're out there and you, you know, you give fully, so, you, you know, you mentioned the word spark and you kind of sparked this whole fire with the uh, telling the news, you know, a new story. I got it mixed up, but you, t- the conference you did 28 times yes. and then the both and ministry that you're doing now, um, you know, this is this really has been like wildfire. You know, as I as I watch, you're doing more than you ever have. You're busier than you ever have. What's your kind of uh, feelings on h- how do you uh, properly steward what God is bringing you now? Like, how do you uh, both remain grateful, hungry, and uh, and content all at the same time? It feels like a lot to manage. It it is. Um, uh, part of it is just being grateful and just being reminded, uh, or or reminding yourself constantly of where you were at on that day that six things canceled, and where you're at today, where. Uh, you know, I have uh, five retainer relationships with annual conferences. Last year, I got to actively coach 175 pastors. I was leading 16 cohort calls a month. And, um, you know, that is not something, I mean, I am so grateful for that. And then there are days where like uh, today is a five Zoom call day. I had five five appointments. I've got another training I'm doing tonight. Um, and you know, I, I do get a little tired, but then I, I just kind of stop and think, thank God that I'm this busy, you know, yeah. uh, I yeah. thank God that I'm this tired <laughs> because there have been other moments there have, I mean, there was a, a year that I went through some transition in ministry, um, midnight oil. My ministry was, uh, I was a, a partner and I bought my partner out, uh, Lynn Wilson, um, and, uh, I also I was I was basically buying him out and uh, and also trying to uh, do some things and feeling a little depressed uh, in in seeing a ministry fall apart or not fall apart but but break up. Sure. I've been yeah. working, yeah. yeah, you know, I've been working with Len for thirteen years and um, and I mean we had a, a fairly lean year as far as income for me because I was buying someone out as a monthly sort of thing, and I remember that year. Um, going through some old boxed up Star Wars toys that I had and wrapping them up as Christmas presents for kids because we didn't have as much to spend that year on Christmas. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, moments like, like what I'm living through now where I'm busier than ever. Um, I try to remember those moments where it was like, I don't know how we're going to even make ends meet this month. And, uh, and, um, 
the reality is I don't know how long this wave lasts. So, you know, we have tried to uh, just in our, in our own uh, personal uh, situation, you know, uh, pay off debt and, uh, you know, take, take, invest in the right things and, you know, all of that. So nothing but Bitcoin, right? Exactly right. <laughs> now I uh, I clicked on one too many uh, cryptocurrency articles, so every time I open anything, I get little uh, Bitcoin uh, ads everywhere. I don't own any. I I'm I'm really curious. I've got yeah, a neighbor who's too. really into it, but I have not uh, I've not invested anything there. Uh, I love it. Well, and it, it reminds me of, you know, the years of feast and the years of famine in scripture. And we see that. And I, I think one of the things that you do well is you, you steward what you have when you have it and, um, and you remain obedient in both cases. So, so let's, let's talk a little bit about this new resource that you have coming out. Uh, it's, it's a brand new book, both and maximizing hybrid worship for an in-person and online engagement. Um, now, obviously that's the full official title, but it's really just, both and right and 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 so give us kind of um the idea of of the the crux of this resource because you you're talking about two things that in the church world and and for a lot of us can feel very different and i think mm-hmm. what you're saying is they're both different and they're both equally important i think that's probably a fair characterization um i think that one of the upsides of the pandemic, and there are plenty of downsides, sure. was that it forced the church to move uh, when the church hasn't moved in a long time in, in some ways. And one of the ways that it forced us to move was um, online and, and to connect with more people. The very first passage in the book uh, is um, quoting the Great Commission, uh, that we are to take the gospel to all all people, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um and uh, we have to figure out the baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit online because you can't, you know, that's more of a physical thing. But it's the reason I call it both and. I really believe that we have this incredible opportunity, maybe the best opportunity in my lifetime, to reach more people with the gospel because uh, we are now offering worship in a way that uh, – Anybody can connect. People that wouldn't walk into a physical building, uh, people who are not in our zip code or not in our neighborhood. But the both and piece of this whole puzzle for me is that uh, we cannot just deliver the experience. We cannot create the experience that was in the room and simply put a camera in the back and go about business as usual and expect that to translate uh, to those online. And so we have to create an experience that is, I, I think, equally for the people in the room, both the people in the room and the people at home, which means we have to reimagine the experience a bit. Uh, one of my favorite examples uh, that I share both in the book and in the training that I do is to think about professional sporting events. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference between Going to the game, I saw that you were at the uh, Bengals uh, playoff game. Did you get to go? To the, were you at the playoff? Game I was at the chief, the Chiefs game when the Bengals destroyed the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, all right, Chiefs all right. Fans yeah. out there, especially my friend Jeff Cartwright, they destroyed the Chiefs <laughs> and made the playoffs and then won the playoffs. Go Bengals. Keep going. There you go. I just knew you had Bengals on. I couldn't remember which game it was at yeah. and you were at the game. Uh, you know, the experience at the game is different than the experience at home. Uh, you have a sif- different sort of energy when you're with that crowd. Uh, you've got the, the sights, the sounds, the smells, the, uh, the beer and the hot dogs, the, you know, all that stuff that you don't have when you're at home. But at home, uh, you don't have to deal with crowds and parking and disgusting restrooms and the, che- the snacks are cheaper. And you have commentators that will explain what's happening and instant replay. And, but it's the same game. The game is playing out in real time for both of those groups. Um, and there are people at the stadium that are dedicated to giving you a great experience. The ushers, the uh, vendors, uh, you know, the, the person playing charge on the, on the organ or whatever. Um, I don't know if they do that at football games, but, um, but um, at, uh, at, at home, you've got the commentators and all those things. And so the, it's, it's one thing that's being delivered in a both-and way. Uh, I think for some of us, we have not really reimagined worship. And so we're creating an experience where more or less what we're doing is we're, uh, the people at home are an afterthought, and we 
without really meaning to turn them into spectators Hmm. or to observers of an experience they're not really a part of. So the thrust of the book, the training, is to help churches think about how do you create uh, participation and engagement for people both online and at home. I say we've got to get away from the language watching worship. We don't want to say, if you're watching at home today, we want them to worship at home, not watch at home. Yeah. And uh, uh, some folks have had a real struggle with this idea of hybrid that you can't, if you're not in the physical space, it's not really worship. But I remind them that Paul's ministry was a hybrid ministry. You know, all throughout Acts, uh, Paul is preaching to the people in person. Sure. But so much of our theology today is based on these epistles, these letters that were written, distanced, apart. And all throughout uh, Paul's writings, he's constantly saying, I wish we were together. I wish we were in person. I wish I could embrace you. But we don't discount that as somehow less than because Paul wasn't physically in the same space. And I really believe if we're intentional, uh, we can create create transcendent expressions of worship through a both-and approach. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Jason to remind you about the Spirit and Truth Conference. That's right, we've been talking about it for a while now and we're just over a month away. I want you to be in Dayton, Ohio, March 17th through the 19th as we kick off the Spirit and Truth Conference. Now this conference will feel a little bit more like a camp meeting. Speakers from all over the world will be there and I'm so excited to breathe a little life into you, the church leader, the pastor, the follower of Christ. So go to spiritandtruth.life slash conference. And hey, when you uh, check out, put the promo code reclamation in to save a little money, our gift from us to you. I'm so excited for the conference and I hope to see you in Dayton, Ohio, March 17th through the 19th. For more information, check out spiritandtruth.life. Now, let's continue this conversation with Jason. Now, um, for all of my traditionalists out there who are feeling very uncomfortable right now, <laughs> l- let, me, let me just go ahead and ask the question on their behalf. Yes. Are you saying that it's okay for someone to only do online worship? Personally, I am not a proponent of only online worship, but I don't think we should discount what God can do through online worship. Um, I'll tell you, there was a church I visited, uh, back in August, um, my favorite church to talk about. They're called Journey Church in Columbia, South Carolina, Pastor George Ashford. And George, uh, it's a large African-American church. I think he said pre-pandemic, they were around 600 or so. I don't know if that was membership or attendance or whatever, but he said in, in my community, in the African-American community, we have not been quick to get vaccinated. We have some negative history with allowing people to stick things in our arms that we don't know what they are and so on. So he said, I've got a congregation that's 80% online, 20% in person. And so uh, I had to figure out how do you do church when you're going to do it in that way? And in the African-American tradition, call and response is a really important aspect of worship. So when the pastor preaches, the people participate, they yell things out, they uh, you know, there's a dialogue that happens. And so he had to really think about how are you going to do worship in that way? And and so there are a few things that I took from this experience. I'm actually, uh, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm going to be flying to uh, Columbia and working with them again this weekend. And I can't wait to see what I pick up from them this time. But when I was with them on that day, there were about four things that I think are great takeaways when it comes to both hands. Uh, the, the first uh, captures three of them. And that is that they have what they call uh, the amen section that is at the front of their church, three high top tables that have little laminated cards that say social media ambassador on those three tables. And so they have servants that sit at those tables and their job is to be like the online um, uh, greeter or just they encourage participation. So I opened the chat during worship because I wanted to see what they were doing. So every single person that came into the chat got a welcome. Every time they made a comment, there was a response. There were always hearts and likes. Um, and people are fully engaged, uh, throughout that. The second thing they did is they had a whiteboard behind them and, uh, they actually wrote on the whiteboard attendance, uh, in, in the moment on that board. So it started off with 30 and they erased it, became 50, became 80. I think it went all the way up into the 130s. That's 130 households 
which allowed the people in the room to be aware of the people uh, not in the room. So they felt a connection in that way. And the third thing that happened, and this was my favorite uh, and why I think they call them the amen section, is that sometimes people would put in comments like, preach it, Brother Ashford, and someone from one of those tables would yell out the comment that somebody at home made. So they got to be full participants. That meant that the pastor was aware by looking at that board of who was there, by listening to the comments that were coming out, and so on. So those were three of the things. The fourth thing that I really appreciated, and I think for any of our traditionalists out there, uh, this this one is is very helpful, and why I'm a proponent of both and, not either or, um, is that after worship, it was a communion Sunday, after worship, uh, I walked out of the building and there was a line of cars, probably 30 car- cars long, there to receive communion that day. Hmm. So these people worshiped online and they pulled up in their car and communion stewards were there with masks and gloves and uh, all of that. But they would go to, you know, as the car would pull under the awning, they'd give them their elements, they'd receive communion. So they were full participants in the online experience. And then they came to the building uh, to experience the sacraments. Um, You know, I know there's a, when it comes to sacraments, there's a lot of different points of view. I know some folks are saying, hey, grab bread and juice or water or whatever, and you can participate today. I know other churches that are like pre-blessing elements and saying it's a communion week next week, stop by the church and pick up your elements. Uh, For me, it's not, I don't want to get, I don't want to tell you what the theology should be around that. I think we all have to wrestle with that on our own, but we do have to remember that people want to engage in the full life of the church. So don't just make your communion. Hey, when you came in today, you received a packet. Uh, well, no, when I walked into my living room and turned the TV on, no one gave me a communion packet today to, to participate. So how do we engage them uh, in, in all of those ways? So obviously this is a, this is a, a lot for a, a very uh, a difficult institution that doesn't really like change <laughs> the church right and, and so i you know um what i appreciate about your approach is that you're not saying that uh one is better than the other you're not saying that one is worse than the other i think and, and correct me if i'm wrong but what i hear you saying is hey let's just be intentional in the relationship building on both sides and however it fits into your theology, correct? I mean, is that too much of a yes. simplification? No, I think I think you more or less have captured it. Um, anyone who has heard me talk in the last few years, has, have, or last couple of years, have heard me say this, but uh, I really believe we've got to stop ranking our congregation in terms of importance by where they sit. You're not mm-hmm. most important if you sit in the front. You're not more important in the front than if you sit in the back. You're not more important if you sit on the ground level than in the balcony, and you're not less important if you're sitting at home than you are in the room. If you're there one week and you don't feel well the next week and you worship from home, your value doesn't go down 50% in the kingdom of God in a faith community. And so I think um, actually one of the churches I coach, a a pastor named Marilyn Weiler, uh, said this in one of her sermons when I was secret worshiping. I just loved it. She said, we've got to bring dignity and respect to our entire congregation, which means, and she was telling the people in the room this, sometimes I'm going to look right at the camera and talk to people at home. I'm going to ask questions sometimes that people at home uh, might give a response and I might read it off my phone because they matter just as much as the people in the room. And so it doesn't matter if you are doing uh, high uh, church liturgical worship or if you're uh, doing the most modern worship of all, uh, if you're a large church, if you're a small church, uh, none of that matters. And even your theological bent, whether you're on the uh, conservative side or the progressive side or, or whatever, um, it's really just about uh, bringing dignity and respect to our entire congregation. Um, and I guess the last thing I would say is that if we're trying to reach new people, we want to be uh, inclusive enough in our language that they can understand and and, and uh, come to know what we have come to know uh, a long time ago. So walking people into our rituals, uh, helping them understand the meaning of things when we say things like sacrament or Eucharist or uh, or even things like connect card, you know, like if I'm online and you say, fill out your connect card, a card is a piece of paper. Uh, I don't have a piece of paper in my living room when I'm watching on my TV. I don't even know what you mean when you say that. So uh, it's it's that. It's also 
Um, I, our language gives us away sometimes. So we're, we're really bad, I think, sometimes in the church about saying, let's all stand together for the reading of the word. Sure. Well, do you really think people in their living room are standing up when you say that? Uh, so I like to say, if you're here in the room with us, let's stand together. Or if you're worshiping at home, find a posture that will allow you to fully participate in this moment. Uh, just acknowledging that they're there, uh, I think, is is what invites them into relationship, uh, both with our churches, but also with God through the worship that we are doing in this present time. So I think there are a lot of people who have taken to online worship as, um, you know, the primary means of which they uh, they now commune with a, a, a religious community because of the pandemic, right? And and I know a lot of uh, a lot of people aren't going back. It feels like uh, that was true when I was pastoring, and it's even more true now as I work with pastors. You know, um, I I don't think attendance is going to go back to in person. Um, I, I'm curious, what are you telling pastors when it comes to measuring? Period. <laughs> when it comes to yeah. measuring, right? Like uh, attendance. You, you know, you and I both know, right? And and I've done a lot of online ministry with you and and just myself over the years, right? Like an online view uh, is, you know, number wise, w- one for one, can't be counted the same as yeah. an in person. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not talking about paying attention. You know, like I, I I am kind of of the opinion that attendance no longer is a valuable metric. Um, I, I'd be curious what your thoughts on that are and what you're telling, what you're yeah. telling people. Well, uh, I think it's a great question. And it's the question that a lot of people are asking. And uh, I think the reason a lot of people are asking, at least in the tribe that I work with the most, the United Methodist Church, is that, you know, they've got to fill out reports on attendance and all that, and they don't know how to count it. Um, let's, podcast. yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, let's, let's just be honest though, that butts and seats has never, you know, equated disciples. Um, you know, I could go to the gym every single day and sit on a bench and not do any exercise whatsoever, but watch other people, right. uh, watch the instructors and not benefit at all from what I'm experiencing. So just because someone shows up in the room, doesn't mean they're living out any of what we're talking about. Sure. Uh, so I think, uh, and I said this a little bit uh, a moment ago, but uh, developing a discipleship pathway, I think, is key uh, to um, how we uh, measure what we're doing. Um, I also think that in one of the one of the questions I've been asking pastors a lot over this last couple of years, and especially in my coaching is how's it going? And and people always tell me the in-person numbers. Oh, we only have like 40% of our people back. And I'll say, well, how's it going online? Oh, you know, our online numbers are good. Well, how's your giving? Oh, it's steady. And what I, I you know, we've got to rewire our brains a little bit because we seem to think that only people in the room matter. And that's just not true. Uh, the people online if they're fully participating, and and I think that offering is a good indicator. I don't invest in something that doesn't mean something to me or that I, I don't have some level of involvement in. So one of the uh, suggestions I've been making, and this is also in the book, is that churches bring back the concept of the hymn board. I don't know if you remember the old hymn board. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Catholic Church I grew up in, we it was like it, – it was – it was the stats, man. Yes. You know, so we would always have, they would have the hymn numbers, but uh, would also have last week's attendance and it would have last week's offering on it. I would suggest to any church that's struggling with morale or uh, who doesn't know how to uh, measure that you start telling that whole, tell the whole story, not just the story of the people in the room. Uh, so I would encourage churches to think about looking at the numbers from Sunday when worship is over until Saturday night before worship begins and put those up on your, quote, hymn board, you know, your digital hymn board, if you're going to put that on the screen. Uh, Tell the story of the offering. Your people in the room don't have access to that stuff. And they just look around and see there aren't very many people here or as many people as there used to be. So I think we have to help people see uh, everyone. I also think that we need to measure what's happening uh, in our discipleship um, opportunities. How many uh, people are coming to Bible study or involved in small groups? Or I think that's maybe a better indicator of the the health of our church than how many people show up in a room and and sit there. Um, so for me, it would be a combination of um, people participating in mission, 
people participating in Bible study and small groups, giving, and then attendance in the room and online. You know, that's that's how I would really uh, see it. And um, I guess my final thought on on uh, just attendance patterns these days. I just actually had a coaching call right before uh, our conversation today, and I had a pastor kind of lamenting what was happening with attendance and especially children's ministry. Uh, everyone's trying to figure out, like, how do you get kids to come back to Sunday school? And, you know, the the reality is, uh, and a bit of our, our uh, time when we were living in the same city, we uh, would do some workout stuff together. I was never as good as you at uh, P90X, but, um, oh, man, you know, the... the <laughs> getting up at you know, an ungodly hour and doing that. But the reality is that when you are doing something like that, when you get in the rhythm of it, you don't want to get out of the rhythm. So it's hard on the first day and it's hard on the second day. But, you know, when we were in that rhythm and, you know, it was like we're doing it three days a week and I didn't want to miss because I was in the rhythm of it. But if you miss uh, a day and then you miss two days. And you're like, well, I'll, I'll start next week. And then next week ah, I'm busy. I'll start the week after that. And once you get out of the rhythm, it is so much harder to get back in the rhythm. Same with dieting. You know, it's like, once you yeah. get in the rhythm of it, you want to stay in it. And I think for, with some folks, they've had two years out of the rhythm of going to church or going to Sunday school or whatever. And it's easier to grab my cup of coffee and sit in my PJs and, uh, and, and surf Facebook while I'm watching, uh, I, maybe I'm not worshiping. I'm just watching uh, worship on TV. So I think we've got to start to think about how do we uh, re-engage people in that rhythm. And it may mean doing more uh, event-based. Like I think people have a longing for connection right now. Uh, yeah. They miss being together. Uh, but you may have to make things a little special. So maybe, and I'm just spitballing here, maybe it's that you do uh, you know, a bigger Sunday school thing twice a month, not every week just to get people back in the rhythm and you increase the frequency of that until you, uh, you know, you, you got to walk attention. alongside them, right? That's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So uh, things have definitely uh, changed in the way. And and I know that it's, it's, it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around. I, I have another pastor friend who was lamenting to me in a phone call uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was telling me about his daughter who in 2020 started college and had to start online. And in 2021, campuses opened back up and he's like, are you ready? You ready to go uh, live the college experience? And his daughter was like, why would I do that? I can stay here with my family and eat out of your refrigerator and uh, not have to leave all my friends and I don't have to spend as much money. And she could not wrap her head around what the value of the in-person experience was because she only knew the online experience and we all grew up in the in-person experience and can't wrap our heads around how someone could have a meaningful experience uh, in a living room or, you know, in a hotel room or, or whatever it might be. So uh, it's it's rewiring our brains. And I think it's also kind of lamenting uh, that change has happened and, and we've got to get used to that thought. Well, and I, I think one of the realities is uh, y- your metaphor about being um, – about the the sports is a, is a great one that really parallels the church um, pretty closely because one of the things that I hear from pastors a lot, and I'm sure you do too, is this lament about the attendance. But it's not because we we overly care about attendance, right? But um, I didn't, and most pastors I know didn't get into this to be in a room that feels dead. Yeah, you know, and and whether or that's nobody's fault, that's nobody to blame, right? But but just like the athletes say, man, it's different when the fans are here. Like it's a different energy. It's a different energy, and 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 that I think that is a tension as we approach this stuff that we're going to have to deal with, and that every pastor, myself included, um, when I was pastoring local church, have to wrestle with. Man, I, not having people here hurts my heart. Yes, and, uh, because I want. The, I want the body to connect. Now, I want the body to connect online too, right? But I, I want the body to connect with me in person here, right? Like, I, I, it's it sounds so needy, but it is, it's a very real, I mean, I, mean, I guess there, there has to be a reason why Jesus came in person. He could have done sure. everything from a cloud, right? Like, he could have thrown lightning bolts and healed people or whatever, right? Like, I'm getting my gods mixed up, but, you know, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm being funny. I know, my theology sound, guys, it's fine. It's a joke. Yeah. 
Um, but like, there's I knew a reason. that you were into Greek gods and stuff, man. <laughs> right, right, right. It's fine. Um, there's a reason Jesus came in person because it, it it does feel different, but we can't throw away the online. Um, yeah. Well, and yeah. and and uh, another passage I've uh, uh, or uh, part of what I've talked about in Scripture is that um, you know before the Holy Spirit, you had to go to the temple. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit on Pentecost arrived and, and resides in all of us. And so uh, we don't have to go to a place to experience God. That's right. Uh, it's funny because for, for we used to uh, talk a lot about how the church is not the building. In fact, uh, Tony, when we started working together at your former church, your tagline was church without walls. That's right. We've put that to the test, haven't we? We have. <laughs> um, we have. And, and, you know, I mean, as somebody who makes my living uh, large percentage of my living as a, a speaker, man, I miss standing on a stage in front of, you know, 150 people and listening to them laugh or uh, watch those aha moments or whatever. I mean, it's been a huge shift for me to have to watch chat or watch in a Zoom room, uh, people nod. And it's it's so different. I, I would take in-person all day long over uh, online. Um, but uh, I have also heard great stories about transformation and the way uh, this has uh, opened the gospel up to people yeah, that's right. um, who wouldn't walk through a physical, walk into a physical church. I had, um, uh, I, just, I could share story after story, uh, but um, we cannot, one of the, one of the big, uh, um, one of the things I hear a lot about worship from critics about online worship is that it's not embodied worship, that we're not physically in the presence and, and all of that. And uh, um, in the book, I share an article, I think from a Catholic uh, professor, a, a woman who uh, talks about how you have to have an embodied experience uh, to worship online as well. You have to have your fingers to touch the keyboard. You have to have your eyes to see it. You have to have your ears to hear it. Hmm. And she actually shared that when, she said, for me, it allows me to have an even fuller body experience because I would like to dance during the Gloria Patri. But if I did that in the Catholic Church, they'd, they'd take me out of there in a, in a white jacket that uh, zips in the back. Uh, you know, um, so again, I'm not, I'm not a proponent of either or. I really do think that we need it's to be in person. Um, there's, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, we need to be both in. Um uh, one one last thing I'll say here is that um, I am working with the church in North Carolina who told me a story about how uh, someone was so engaged in their online worship <laughs> that they drove from Tallahassee up to North Carolina to join the church. Hmm. They're not moving to North Carolina, uh, but they joined the church and they are participating through tithes and offering and online worship and Bible study. But then they have found ways to get involved in their local area in mission and other uh, opportunities like that. So um, it's it's a different way of thinking. Uh, we've got to wrap our heads around it. And uh, uh, I would just say that for folks who say relationships can't be real if they're online, uh, you probably haven't been paying all that much attention to social media because they're, you know, I know more about what's going on in your life right now because we're friends on Facebook uh, than um, when we lived in the same city and we saw each other regularly. You know, sure. that doesn't mean I know that we have the same level of intimacy in a, in a relationship that we would, but, but there is a real connection that is there. I love it. And I, I think more than anything, it's just important for the church to recognize um that, that it requires some intentionality if we want to build the relationship and um, a, a attractional church, I, I believe is, is on its last leg. Like we're not attractional church is not going to be the thing that brings a whole bunch of people in, mm -hmm. but, uh, but relational church could be, and this is, yes, it's really what I, I hear you saying. And I, and I appreciate that. Uh, Jason, I, I know that my, um, my listeners are going to want to pick up a copy of the book, they're going to want to uh, follow you and learn more about your ministry. Where's the best place to, to A, get the book, and, and B, follow you on, on uh, all the interwebs? Sure. Um, well, they can get the book. In fact, uh, we have a special code uh, for listeners of the podcast uh, at inviteresources.com. And this is a little complicated, but I want you to think both in. B-A uh, special 10 
except for B, A, and S, the first letter of special, B, A, and S are all capital. B, A, S, all capital, B, A, S, special 10 will get you 10% off of oh, that's great. The, Love that. We'll link to that uh, in the show notes too. We'll link to invite resources and I'll, I'll make sure we get the, uh, the code in there. So you don't have to overthink can, it too much. If you're on the treadmill right now or driving, <laughs> don't worry about writing it down. I got you covered. It's in the show notes. There you go. And then, uh, I'm at midnight oil Productions or PROD, um, on, on Twitter, although I don't tweet, uh, but you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash midnight oil productions. And also on Instagram at uh, Instagram.com forward slash Midnight Oil. Or no, I'm sorry, at Midnight Oil Productions. Goodness, I'm not very good. At, That's fine. Um, We're going to link to all of it in the show notes. You know, you're, you're almost too relational to be online. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, there so you go. Uh, last question I always love to ask people. And uh, you know this because you've listened to the podcast before, but it's an advice question. Except I get to name the the day and time where you um, you get to go back and give yourself one piece of advice. And so um, what I would like to do is I would like to take you back uh, to your first day as a solopreneur at Midnight Oil Productions. You're the only, you've bought out your other partner. It's just you and, and literally burning the midnight oil because I know that's when you do most of your great creative work. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you could go back um, all those years ago Look yourself in the eye and give yourself one piece of advice. Um, what would it be? Um, believe in yourself uh, and know that it is going to be okay. Um, mm. In those in those days, uh, after having been a partner for so long, I didn't know if I had anything of value for anyone. Um, because I'd been tied to someone else and, uh, I had lots and lots of doubts and, uh, um, and gosh, God has done things well beyond my, uh, greatest imaginings of what could be. So I would tell myself that. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, uh, I'm thankful for your time today, man, your generosity and, uh, for your friendship over the years. It always means a lot to me. And I, I love the fact that we get to connect and, and what God's doing in your life. Hey, thank you so much. I'm I'm proud of you and what you've done through the podcast. I remember when you were just talking about it and uh, you've come so far and uh, grateful for your friendship too. So thanks for the chance to be on the podcast. I told you guys what a great conversation. I love Jason's heart. I love how he's wired. I just love his intentionality around online and in-person worship. Jason's been walking alongside the local church for decades and his expertise has been such a help to so many. As always, friends, I'm extremely thankful for the opportunity to gather with you today. I hope that this conversation was a gift to you and helps you grow a little closer to Christ. Also, remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move. <laughs>